So we're uh, making our way through Genesis, find ourselves in chapters 31, I'm sorry, 30 and 31. We left off last week in chapter 30, verse 24, and pick it up in verse 25. And, you know, I'm just going to read all the way through to the end of 31, because it's just telling the tale of uh, Jacob and Laban. And um, Jacob getting back to the promised land, getting back to the land that was promised to his descendants. I'll go back to 24. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And then it came to pass, when Rachel had borne Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me go, for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, Well, please stay, if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. And he said, Name me your wages, and I will give it. And so Jacob said to him, Well, you know how I have served you and how uh, your livestock have been with me. For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now when shall I provide for my own house? And so he said, What shall I give you then? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything if you will do this one thing for me. I will again feed feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today. Remove from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in the time to come. When the subject of my wages comes up before you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and the brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, Oh, that it were according to your word. And so he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had some white on it, and the brown ones among the lambs, and I gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days' journeys between himself and Jacob. Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. And now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar, of the almond and of the chestnut trees, and peeled white stripes in them, and exposed the white which is in the rods, And the rods which he had peeled he set before the flocks in the gutters and in the watering troughs where the flocks would come to drink. And so they would conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods and the flocks brought forth streaked and speckled and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face towards the streak of all the brown of the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass when the stronger livestock conceived that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger were Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable towards him as before. 
And then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers, to your family, and I will, get, and I will be with you. And so Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field and to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable towards me as before, but the God of my father has been with me, and you know that with all my might I served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did now not allow him to hurt me. And if he says thus, the speckled be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he says thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. And so God has taken away the livestock from your father and given it to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped on the flocks were streaked and speckled and gray-spotted. And the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob. And I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes now and see. All the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked and speckled and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, return to the land of your family. And then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and has also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father was really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he gained in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. And now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stole the house idols, the household idols that were in her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the river and headed towards the mountains of Gilead. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. And then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey, and he overtook him on the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And so Laban overtook Jacob. And now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains with Laban, and, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done, that you have stolen away uh, unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me, for I had, might have sent you away with joy and songs and timbrel and harp? And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters, and now you have done foolishly in so doing. It is my, in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful that you not speak to Jacob either good nor bad, and now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? And then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let them live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. 
And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents. He did not find him, and then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it uh, not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it before my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between us both. And those twenty years I have been with you, your ewes and your, ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts, I did not bring it to you, I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, in the day the drought consumed me, in the frost by night, my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house twenty years. I served you for fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters, or to their children whom they have borne? Now therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. And so Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there on the heap, and Laban called it Jaeger Sahudutha, but Jacob called it Galead. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, the name of it is called Galead. Also Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me, where we are absent from one another. If you afflict my daughters in any way or take otherwise besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see God as witness between you and me. And then Laban said to Jacob, Here is the, this heap, and here is this pillar, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. And the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father, Isaac. And then Jacob offered sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned to his place. You want to keep going? <laughs> It's a long stretch of reading, but it's all one story, right? Um, back in chapter uh, 30, Rachel conceives and Joseph is born. Um, we talked about that last week and, and all, but here's the wife that, um, you know, uh, Jacob had come from Bethel. He'd come from his father's house. Isaac, Isaac sent him to find a wife. 
And here's the one that he loved, even though Laban tricked him. And uh, he labored for 14 years for Rachel. Now she's finally had a child, names him Joseph. And Jacob says, I want to go home. I want to go back to my country. And he puts Laban on notice that he already has served him these 20 years. You know, more than what he agreed to for Rachel and Leah. In the light of all of this, he just wants to tell Laban he's heading home. And then verse 27 through 36, Laban acknowledges the blessing he has enjoyed because Jacob was with him. And Jacob reminds him of it the same, you know, and, and you know, the Lord has blessed you for my sake. I was here with you and, and all these years, and because the Lord had blessed me, this is why your household is. And again, Laban says, okay, name your wages. What will it, it be? And so Jacob, you know, along with, uh, you know, serving Laban's house and everything that belonged to Laban, you know, he was never really taken in as a brother-in-law or as a son-in-law by Laban or his sons. He was always a stranger. Um, nevertheless, he says that Laban will not need to give him anything. He says, don't give me anything. All I want to do is take some of these speckled and spotted, just a small part of your flock that I've been keeping all these years, and let me continue to tend to your flock. And he only wants to continue to manage Laban's animals, but just to keep the offspring for himself. Uh, just a small part of the flock. So what's the deal? The deal is let him go back to his country. Let him go back, take his wives with him and his children with him. Um, acknowledge the increase of these years, how God had blessed him for Jacob's sake. And separate into two flocks. So Laban took his and, and he set Jacob out three miles away, put some uh, or three days' journey away, put some distance between them. And then, uh, you know, anything, what's going what's gonna to settle the deal when all is said and done? Uh, when the deal is done, how do we know? Well, in verse 33, he says, over time, Laban's going to come back and he's going to verify the deal. Any that are not spotted and speckled will be considered stolen, he says. So and then verse 37 to 43, what happens? Jacob you know, he manipulates really the flocks to allow the stronger and healthier animals to uh, multiply among the spotted and speckled. And he knows how to manage these flocks. He's been doing it for 20 years. And uh, over time, Jacob now begins to prosper by putting these um, animals before these, these rods. Now, um, Laban's sons begin to see um, the wealth that's growing with Jacob. And he's starting, they're starting to see that, that Laban's flock doesn't seem to be growing or becoming wealthy, but Jacob's are. And they begin to spread that word, and, and Laban finds out, and it says Laban is no longer very friendly towards Jacob. And, you know, he lets him know it. Jacob's starting to get this feeling. All of this is leading up to Jacob's leading, leaving. Um, in verse 3, the Lord finally calls him out. But it's at a time when already he's becoming uncomfortable. He's already becoming, um, you know, nobody's friendly to him anymore. Uh, they're starting to accuse him that, that they're ta he's taking all of, of Laban's uh, flocks and wealth. And the Lord calls him out of Haran, the land of Haran, Padan, Aram, Aramea, it is, in the house 
hold of Laban, who is now known as Laban the Syrian. And then, remember, that's where that land was, that whole part up towards the north there. And um, the Lord now says, return to the land promised to your fathers and to your descendants, and I will be with you. And that's uh, probably the most important thing, I think, for any of us, that we know that the Lord is with us. But God knows when Jacob is ready to hear this. He's, he's in this land. He's becoming uh, just uncomfortable. He's realizing that, that the friendliness that's been going on is no more. And Laban already knows that he's on his way, uh, going to be heading out. And so it's just getting a lot more uncomfortable. And it kind of, you know, his relationship with, with Laban is turning sour. And it kind of almost makes it easier to leave and uh, to get out of there when you're not feeling so welcome anymore. But he worries about his wives, um, that they might not want to come with him. So in, in verses 4 through 16 in chapter 30, or 31, you know, he takes the whole account to his wives. Come on out in the field. Let's, you know, can you understand what's been going on here? Um, explains for their sakes how God had blessed him and God had told him that wherever Laban would have, or when it, whatever Laban would have agreed to, you know, God would still have blessed him. Remember it says if, if he had spotted and they bore spotted, then he would have blessed that. And if, it would, if Laban would have said, well, let's make it the striped ones and, and instead, and they, they would have turned out striped because the Lord was doing this. And uh, we, we're going to talk about that. You know, um, some people say that these uh, rods that he peeled back, you know, the almond and, the, and uh, those... Uh, different trees that he had peeled back the bark. They say, well, he put those in front of them just because they saw him, saw them, then will they bore these spotted and speckled uh, uh, goats and um, kids. But, uh, you know, it could have been. I, that kind of is a stretch. I mean, what if they were looking at purple and orange flowers over here? Then what would those goats look like if that's all it took was to put some in front of them? But uh, it was... You know, possible that there was some type of uh, uh, spice or some type of uh, scent in these almonds that caused them to breed. I don't know, but um, some say that it was uh, just like they would go where they were kind of in camouflage. They would hang out along the fence that was full of spots and stripes because they were spotted and striped goats. You can take your guess, except for the fact he says plain and simple, the Lord said, I will watch out for you. I know what Laban's been doing to you. Whether they were spotted, striped, or anything, the Lord was doing this miracle in them. And um, Jacob only says that God has multiplied the animals. Whether the agreement about spotted animal, animals or not, it was God's hand in giving Jacob this wealth because he saw all that Laban had taken from Jacob. If you want to put up that one map of Jacob's journey, um, I wish I'd have had this in a couple of weeks ago. It shows you just how far it takes to get from down in the southern part there. where Remember the Oaks of Mamre in that area down in the southern, uh, even south of the Dead Sea and a little bit to the east. That's where Abraham had settled, and that's where Isaac had settled, and Jacob was there, and even further south. when, um, And then he came up and went up to Bethel, but then all the way up, you see way up at the top there is in that, just the border of Syria and Turkey today, that is where Haran is, the land where Laban, the Syrian, was dwelling, and that was his land. 
And so you can see how far he went. Now, we read that, that he took a three days journey and he gets all the way down. And we'll talk about that too. I don't know if you can see on that map or not. I think the other one has it. shows the, the, um, um, the river Jabbok. And we'll get into that next week. But where the, the mountains of Gilead. And uh, that's where he flees to. But for now, you can see that uh, in chapter 31, verse 17, where he traveled to. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He carried all his livestock and all his possessions, which he had gained, acquired and gained, and in Padan, Aran, or that Haran area, Syria area, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. And so he stole away unknown to Laban, and he fled all, with all that he had, and he rose and crossed the river, that would be the river Euphrates up there at the top, and headed towards the mountains of Gilead, which is way down to the, uh, just near the Galilee and to the, the east of the Sea of Galilee. And so, um, verses 17 through 21. But in, in, um, along the way, or in those verses, Rachel goes and grabs all of Laban's idols. He, she just go, he's out shearing sheep, nobody around the house. She just goes in there and starts grabbing stuff. We're heading out of town, let's take something with us. And it kind of gives you a little idea of what they actually thought of their father, or more importantly, what they knew their father thought of them. And she kind of goes into details with it. And so Laban hears about um, these guys taking off, and he chases after them, verses 22, 24. But God warns Laban not to harm and look what he says. He says, just watch what you say, neither yes or no, anything good or anything bad, um, you know, much less lay a hand on him. I mean, he's, he's, they took off on him, right? And so um, kind of reminds you, remember when uh, Abraham's servant came and approached Laban and his father Bethuel? And told them all that the Lord had done. And what did they say? Well, we can't say anything. The Lord's doing this thing. And it's the same thing. It ought to remind Laban that this is indeed the God of Abraham who spoke to him and says, you know, don't lay a hand on him. Don't say anything, either good or bad, when you catch up to Jacob. And so God warns him. And Laban knew it was the God of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and now the God of Jacob. But, you know, he knows who God is, but he really doesn't make him his God because he's got these idols, and now he's mad. I mean, when, when Abraham's servant brought gold and camel full of things, precious things, and gave them to Laban and his father, um, doesn't seem like they're around. They must have got melted down and turned into these idols, possibly. I don't know. But clearly, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was not the God of Laban, he has these idols. He still hearkens back to Terah when he's talking to him in verse 24, to his grandfather who came out of Ur of the Chaldees before the one true God had called out Abraham to the promised land and the land of promise of his descendants uh, that they would possess that land. If you want to turn to Joshua 24, making the point that you know Laban maybe knew God, but he did not make him his God which is a curious thing back then, you'd think, but I think the, the, when, uh, when he saw how God had blessed Abraham, he knew that Abraham had the God of all the earth, but um, 
He just didn't want to let go. Joshua is uh, this last chapter in Joshua. He's committing the children of Israel to um, entering into the land. And so he gathers all the tribes of Israel, verse 1, to Shechem, and calls for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in the old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. Um, You know, he recounts how God brought them out of Egypt and crossed the Jordan, drove out the inhabitants of the land. In fact, he goes on through, we're going to come back in here at verse 14, but leading up to that, he even talks about how he would send hornets ahead in order to drive out the, the inhabitants of the land for them. I mean, that's an easy battle to fight when all you got to do is stand back and watch the Lord chasing these guys out with hornets. But um, so... Um, the gods of Terah, Nahor, and Laban are not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says so right here. And down in verse 14, he says to the children of Israel, Though Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, will choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us out of our fathers, up out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all our way. And we went among the people through whom we passed through. God brings us out of bondage. This God, not the God of Laban, but the God of Jacob, brings him out. He brings him out of that bondage, that servitude. Um, you know, same for us. He brings us out of the bondage of sin. You know, so why would we go back to continue in our sins, like Joshua is saying? Choose who you're going to serve. If you're going to serve uh, these gods of the Amorites or these gods of Terah and Nahor and choose if you're going to ser- serve them. Um, if you want to stay in your sins, what he's saying to us, choose. Are you going to stay in your sins? Are you going to continue to walk in that? I like uh, Joe Foch puts this such a great way. He talks about sin being a cruel master. And, you know, you're going to serve somebody. You're either going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve yourself. And if you're serving yourself, you're just so that you can sin. I mean, there, there's only one reason that we would you know, serve ourselves, so that we can get away with what we want to get away with. Sin is a cruel master that keeps us in pain. We're always hungry and thirsty and got to have some more. We're never satisfied. Now, Jesus is our Lord and Savior who leads us into joy and life and love and peace. Now, he's the good shepherd. He's the one that provides for us, keeps us. He's the one that's going to take us to heaven. He's the one that's going to give us eternal life. God is gracious. 
That's the master we serve. He's a good master. He's the good shepherd. You know, sin is a cruel master. You know, if your sin is, what's the God of Balak or uh, uh, the God of drunkenness? Well, you reap the next morning when you got your headache for four hours and you, you can't even keep your food down. And, you know, every sin has its uh, mastery over you and, in, and the addictions that come with it. And then it's got to be more the next time because you don't feel it as much as you did. It's got to be more and more and more. And the addictions continue. It's a cruel master. Brings you into slavery, no matter what the sin is. He is so gracious, though, as he draws us to himself. Um, by making, you know, the labans of this world become unfriendly, so that we're finding it a little bit easier to just turn away from the world. We've had enough. We're fed up. We, when, we, when we come to the Lord, it's because we are so sick and tired of this world and what it's been doing to us. And we're so sick of what we've been doing to ourselves to the point where we turn to the Lord and give it all to him. We turn away from our sin. We make him our master. And God's so gracious to do that, to make the labans of this world make us uncomfortable, be, un, be unfriendly. And at the right time, when we realize it, the world and the sin that we walk in has made us slaves we come to him, and he sets us free. We realize that we had been serving for years, like Jacob served Laban, and didn't have anything to show for it. And this world won't give us anything for what we pour into that, our flesh and into the sin, and the things we spend on it, the, the, the lengths we'll go for it, and it doesn't give us anything. When it's all said and done, there's nothing left. There's nothing for us in the world. Um, we have no inheritance. We're treated like foreigners. And anything we ever gain from the world just belongs to the world, just like Rachel and Leah were telling Jacob. You know, he treats us like foreigners. We don't even have an inheritance. Laban spent it on, on all his own stuff and kept it all for himself. Well, God calls us out of that, and he calls us to a promised land. In verse 25 through 32, these are Laban's claims. Laban says, hey, Jacob, you deceived me. You took them like captives, and he didn't. They went willingly. I might have sent them off with music. In other words, you know, if you would have stuck around, I could have, we could have had a big party. Well, Laban wouldn't let that go. He would continue to say, let me keep them around, stick around. We've got some more wages for you if you want to, you know, something else, we'll say, just so you can stay. And, uh, you know, he says, I have the power to harm you, Laban said. And uh, you're a thief. He accuses him that he stole my idols. And I have the power to do you harm. But God said to me last night in a dream, don't say anything good or bad to Jacob. So what's Jacob's response? Afraid Laban would take his daughters by force. It's almost like he's confused about whose is what. Uh, he didn't even know about these idols, not knowing that Rachel took them. Uh, so he says, just kill whoever you find him with. You know, and I guess you, know, you see that Rachel's a bit of a trickster herself by hiding these, these um, idols. Jacob is now finally angry in verses 36 through 42, um, angry enough at Laban to lay out all his contentions for the last 20 years. He's been serving. first seven years went by like nothing because he thought Rachel was going to be his. And so he takes, uh, um, takes everything out and lays it all out. He says, you've accused me and found nothing. After all my years of service, 
I took and ate none of the best of your flocks. He didn't take any of the rams. I, you required I bear the loss of my any injured and lost and stolen animals out of his own. I faithfully guarded over your animals night and day, hot and cold, out of obligations I had made to your daughters. Twenty years, you changed my wages ten times. Jacob's only confidence in all of this says that if God was not with him, he would have gone away completely impoverished, destitute, empty-handed, and unable to survive if he went back without God having taken care of him all this time. Jacob relied on God to prove that he had been righteous in all his dealings with Laban. You know, he relied on God to, to prove to Laban, you know, if you want to have contention over this, have I been unrighteous? I've served you all these years and then some for your two daughters and now your flocks. If you want to turn to Psalm 37, there is a great value to not being self-righteous, but being righteous, being right in how you serve and how you um, work with people and work for people. Just the first six verses. Oh, do not fret because of the evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Now it says, he shall bring forth your righteousness as a light and your justice as the noonday. The Lord brings it forward. Jacob expected God to bring forth his righteousness. He says so to Laban. He just says, you know, let God judge. Let God bring forth and show you that I've been righteous with you all this time. Now, this is such a consolation for us, especially since our righteousness, we have no righteousness of our own. There's no self-righteousness. Um, but our righteousness is the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, his Son, and whom we believe and whom we've put our faith and our trust, and why it's so important for us to do so, so that we are righteous and we have God's righteousness, not a righteousness of our own. And God gave his judgment, and he said so to both these guys. Jacob, before they fled, what did he say to Jacob? Return to the land of your fathers. Laban will not hurt you, he told them. I will see I see what Laban has been doing to you. I would have given animals whether they needed to be speckled or not. These are all things God promised or, or said to Jacob. He says, I am the God of Bethel where you made that vow back in Genesis twenty eight. And he says, Lead this land, leave this land. Why? Well, because I am with you, he says. Turn to Psalm one twenty four, just short eight verses in this Psalm. God is with us. What a consolation and what a comfort. What a way to have peace, just setting your mind on him and knowing that he's with us. Psalm 124, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters would have overwhelmed us, and the stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth, 
Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord and not just any old God, but the God who made heaven and earth, the creator of all things. You know, the fear of Isaac um, in uh, God gave his judgment to these guys, uh, Jacob and Laban. And Jacob has to remind him in verse 42 back in Genesis that God is the one who rebuked you. And he did it last night. He even reminds him, you told me just now that God rebuked you last night about all this stuff. But then they make their covenant. And they, these two names of the same thing for the word pile of stones in verses 43 through, 40, for, through 55 of uh, back in Genesis Chapter 31, Laban Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, these children are my children, this flock is my flock, and all that you see is mine. Well, boy, he's just not remembering what he'd said. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or their children whom they have borne? Now, therefore, come, let's make a covenant. So uh, Laban considers Jacob's wives and his children his own. He says, mine. Notice earlier his daughters, they were considering themselves foreigners and the way that Laban treated them, they didn't have any inheritance, he didn't take care of them, they weren't even a part of the family anymore, the way Laban treated them. And, and it even seems like there seems to be some confusion with, with uh, Jacob, you know, because he was afraid that, that he was going to come and take away his wives. You know, there, there's really, there should have been no confusion. Just like when Isaac came and took Rebekah, he came and Rebekah was his wife and took her back to the land. Here's Jacob wants to go back to the land. These are his wives. These, these are his children. They're not Laban's. But Laban, you know, seems to, uh, or Jacob seems to have this idea that this overwhelming attitude of Laban, that everything is his, that you're serving. And it was like that in some ways back then. If you're a servant in a house, everything that's in, in the house, it belongs to the master of the house, all the servants and everybody, and even the servants' wives and all of that. And that's kind of why the daughters are saying, you know what? He doesn't even consider us his daughters. We're foreigners to Laban. You know, we treated him like, uh, like some foreigner that wasn't even a part of his family, never treated Jacob like a true son-in-law, or the brothers never treated him like a brother-in-law. And so, you know, uh, Jacob just has this uh, attitude and he's kind of not sure whether or not he's going to be able to keep his wives or not. And he says he was afraid. And, um, but Laban has to admit that there is nothing that he can do. And so they make this covenant, stone, stones of witness. But in verse 53 of chapter 31, we see a little bit more of what we were talking about earlier in Joshua, who in fact were the gods of uh, Terah and Nahor. Um, he says, you know, when Laban swears, he swears by the God of Abraham, Nahor, and Terah. Well, he, by their father, and that would be Terah. You know, so he thinks that Abraham's God is still this God that they brought out of Ur of the Chaldees, you know, who's got the idols all around the house to kind of appease this God. Well, Laban was there when Abraham's servant came for a wife, for Isaac, and took Rebekah, Laban, and his father both acknowledged that Jehovah, 
was the word there for the Lord in Genesis 24. But he also tried to use the opportunity for gain, remember? He tried to get him to stick around for 10 more days and his servant and wanted to see if uh, they could wiggle more out of him for his sister, Rebecca. And so uh, he also tried to use that opportunity for gain rather than fear the Lord. And that time, remember, they also said, neither good nor bad, we can't say anything if God's doing it. So here's Laban. The Lord shows up and reminds him that night before, neither good nor bad. Abraham's servant gave Laban and his father precious items, but now whatever it was, uh, they were replaced by these idols that Rachel took. Laban seems to think that Abraham still used the same gods that came from Terah and Ur of the Chaldees. So he swears by these, you know, that's Laban's side of the thing. He's going to swear by his gods. Well, it says Jacob swears by the fear of Isaac. Now, the fear of Isaac, fear there means dread and terror. A lot of times you hear about the fear of the Lord, it means reverence, it means respect, not necessarily terror. Uh, We think of the word awesome today as something... The, I don't know, the guys say when they do a you know, good surfing maneuver or something or the skateboards or something, that was awesome. Maybe that's old, I don't know. But the uh, word awesome means from the word awful. In fact, you'll see in your King James a lot of times the Lord was awful. What that means is full of awe in such a true sense of the word awe. And that might be how that word is used, the fear of the Lord. Well, this particular word, fear of Isaac, is terror, dread. And, and so when, when Jacob swears, he swears by the fear of Isaac. Well, what is the fear of Isaac? It's, it's used, this word is used about God in the Old Testament, that Hebrew word. But it's mostly used when God is working through his people, like Samuel or like David, and they're, and they're making war. And so the surrounding nations would have that terror, would have that fear when they saw these these. Uh, men of Israel coming out against them because the Lord was with them. And so was that terror that came when God was using his people and to, to fight for Israel. Now Jacob knew that God was with him. Jacob knew that God was using him. He had the blessing. He had the covenant of Abraham and his father Isaac. And Jacob had his own dream. We studied last week in, in Genesis 28. But the fear of Isaac that Jacob was now in awe at the work, in a terror, in a dread of the knowledge of the fact that he is literally working in his life and was about to bring him back to the land like he promised he would. Jacob was a trickster. Jacob used to get away with a lot of stuff. And next week, if the Lord tarries, or the week after, we'll be getting into the next chapter where he meets Esau, and he wrestles with God and all because he's full of fear about Esau. And he'll no longer be called trickster. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, you know, then he renames him. Um, But at this point, he's still the kind of guy that gets away with stuff. And so he's not used to uh, having to worry if he can work, manipulate something and get it going his way. But now he's aware that God is working through him like his father told him he would. And here's Isaac now. Uh, the fear of Isaac. But Jacob knew it was God that was with him. He knew that God was working with him and through him. And he puts that fear in that, in that uh, covenant that he's making with 
with Laban. Laban says, okay, my gods that we brought over those idols, you know, those gods we brought from the early Chaldees, that's what I'm swearing by. Jacob says, the fear and the terror and the dread of Almighty God who's working through all these things, working in me, bringing me back to the land of the descendants, that's what I'm swearing by. And so who's standing before the one true God to see that all these things take place? Well, it was Jacob. And, um, you know, there's also a picture here of how we are sent in this world to bring people to Jesus Christ. And often the world claims that we still belong to the world. It kind of does what Laban does, the, world, the Labans of this world that tried to make a profit and tried to gain off of us. And we're trying to live a righteous life and, and all. And there are those that, in the world that just take advantage of that, you know, there's a picture there of, of how we're trying to stay in this world. We're trying to win people to the Lord. And, but now we're, you know, now we're being taken home and taken to that land of promise to those who believe. It's a heavenly home. It's not of this world, leaving it all behind. Whether they're trying to grab on and keep us there and give us some more wages and get some more benefit out of us and get some more gain like Laban did, you know, those are the Labans of the world, but in that same world is the bride. We're that bride, and we're also sent into the world to draw people to the Lord, or to be there when the Holy Spirit's drawing people to the Lord and give them his word. And so, um, you know, we're leaving all the world behind, but we're still in the world. What we learn about Jacob, well, Jacob was a trickster, but he makes an awful generous deal seven years of his life for Rachel, when Isaac went, the servant didn't stay even 10 days. And Jacob goes, he didn't have camels, he didn't have gold, he didn't have gifts, so he offers Laban, okay, I'll work for you. And uh, so he works for him for seven years. For the bride that he loves, that's the value he put on Rachel, seven years of his life, to have her the rest of his life. And it says it went by like a few days because of his love for her. What do we learn about Laban? Well, he was opportunistic. He was a mercenary. He just took that to his advantage and gave him Leah instead. Got seven more years out of him. He tricked him. And uh, so he took advantage. But what do we learn about God in all of this? He does not leave Jacob. He said he would not leave Jacob. And he will not leave us. He will not forsake us. In Hebrews 13, uh, 5 and 6, and we've been here a little bit in the past few months, but it's so appropriate. Just verses 5 and 6 in, in Hebrews 13. It says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Why? For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, like Jacob did, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. And it's so true. Uh, why should we continue to be coveting the things of this world when we have the Lord and he will never leave us? He'll never forsake us. And he's bringing us to his kingdom. Uh, Psalm 118 has a few more verses for us. You know, God saw how Jacob was being treated by Laban. And he told him so in verses 5 through 8 only. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. 
and I will not fear what man can do to me. The Lord is for me among those who help me, and therefore I shall see my desire on those who hate me. And it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. You know, he sees how we're treated. He sees how we're taken advantage of. And, you know, he always judges rightly. He will always, you know, expose the Labans. And he will also, like we read earlier, he will let them know of our righteousness. And our righteousness is in Jesus Christ. And that's who we point to uh, for that and to show them, you know, who we are in Jesus. He will always judge rightly. And he says in Psalm, or in, uh, yeah, back in Psalm 27 that he will not give us as prey to the enemy. You know, but here we read he is on our side. And that's from this passage what we learn about the Lord. And that's all that I got. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, because it tells us who you are, tells us who we are in you. And I pray, Father, again, that by your Holy Spirit, you'd be working in our hearts and lives to to cement these things in us, to put these things deep in our hearts so that we do know who you you are and we can can express who you are to others and take this word to, to the people that you have in our lives. And just to have the strength to live our lives, whether we're um, just raising families or, or uh, helping each other out. And we just ask that you would continue to use your word to work in our lives and our hearts and minds and, and all. And so we just lift this whole night up to you and pray you'd go with us this week. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.